Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Williams, and you're listening to Know Your Own Psychology. After many years building a successful career as a psychologist, I finally realised that it didn't reflect the autonomy and freedom I wanted in both my life and work. As I made plans to begin working for myself, my husband died suddenly and my whole world fell apart. But with a young family to look after and big dreams I did not want to give up on, I took some time and in the middle of the global pandemic, I left my old life behind. Today, I'm a private psychologist, digital course creator, mum to five and best-selling author. My mission is to simplify psychological ideas so that you can know your own psychology influence all the areas of your life and achieve more meaning, freedom and purpose. Are you ready to be empowered? This is Know Your Own Psychology, the podcast. Today on the podcast, I am talking to Tom Lowndes, known professionally as Hot Dub Time Machine. Tom is an Aussie best known for being the world's first time-travelling DJ. After going to his recent 10-year anniversary gig for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, I read some articles which highlighted his views on mental health. I reached out and he graciously accepted my request to be in the podcast. This was such an enjoyable conversation in which we discussed the psychology of music, sobriety and mental well-being. Thank you to Tom for being so open and I hope you, the listener, leave with some of his down-to-earth wisdom. Okay, well, welcome, Tom, to Know Your Own Psychology, the podcast. It's so great to have you here. Um, We connected straight off the back of your hot dub gig in Edinburgh at the Fringe last week. And yeah, I'm just intrigued to talk to you about hot dub, about your music and where psychology might fit into that picture somewhere. Yeah, like, thank you for being here. No worries. Uh, Excited (laughs) to meet you. Amazing. Okay, so let's just dive straight in. So um, in terms of Hot Dub last week then, so that was your 10-year anniversary after what was essentially a forced break with the pandemic. Can you tell us a bit about your Hot Dub journey and how it all started? Um, yeah, sure. So I was like, uh, I um, I loved DJing. I, I started going to raves in the late 90s, early 2000s yeah. and um, just immediately wanted to be a DJ. I couldn't understand how you would go to a rave and not want to be the person on the stage. <laughs> but it took me a very long time to get there. I spent most of the 2000s DJing in my bedroom. I had a whole other career making sound design in TV shows Amazing. and movies. And um, and But I've gradually found my niche in the comedy world. I would DJ for my friends' comedy shows and at comedy bars and at and Australian fringe festivals. Yeah. And then I decided that I wanted to make my own fringe show. So I very much came about through fringe festivals. So And then in 2012, I um, I finally got made, made Hot Up Time Machine and I brought it to the Adelaide Fringe and then the Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah. And um, in that, I just found my niche. I found my 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 uh my home and i found uh a, a unique take on djing and something that people really really liked and yeah. uh i've made a career out of it amazing amazing and actually as you're talking i'm thinking there's a couple of australians who've made it through sort of not just the aussie fringes but like the edinburgh fringe the tim mention is one that springs to mind comedy like i love him so much um okay so you know you had a whole other career before but hot dub feels like the niche now this is where you're gonna kind of stick uh, yes, absolutely. Like it's uh, of, of course, my whole life has totally changed. Like yeah. I, I didn't think that um, I was living a, a life of um, just a, a creative who uh, doesn't have much money. There's not much money in in sound design. Um, 
you're working for studios, particularly in Australia, budgets for TV and film, they dwindle away. And and my wife is an is an actor who um um, she actually came she did the Edinburgh Fringe in 2010 and 2011 as a part of a, another show and she's a great singer and all that kind of stuff so we never had much cash and then um, and I was pretty happy with that life and yeah. my mum and dad were at me to get a mortgage and things like that but I was just it's never going to happen um, but then um, all of a sudden I came up with this uh, this thing and and um, yeah our life is has changed and we have a house now and and financial security and yeah. um it's bloody lovely. Yeah, that's amazing. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about success later on. But I prepped up and read some articles about you just before um, we you know, agreed to do this. And one of the things that I've learned is that you are working towards, I think, two years sober. And yeah, of course, you're working in an environment where alcohol is readily available. But it seems to me like I'm seeing more and more in my practice, people are quite sober curious. There's lots of people choosing sobriety now. And I just wondered if you could share a bit about your decision about it and how you're going with it. Yeah, of course. Um, I, find, I, think, I think that almost everybody can benefit from taking a break from alcohol. Like yeah. my, my life is extreme. And my workplace is incredibly extreme when it comes to alcohol. And so my journey, I do think, um, isn't always comparable to other people. Like my thing with alcohol is that I uh, I was huge into binge drinking and drugs and a lot of things in, in my uh, late teens and early 20s, the whole way through my 20s, really. Like most, I would say, a huge amount of Scottish and Australians yeah. are. Uh, well, to, and just just... I guess white Westerners, <laughs> Australia, England, America, Ireland, you know, we're the people who have booze problems. Yeah. And, but most of my friends aged out of it. Most of them kind of settled down, but I didn't. I had a renaissance that came with my career. All of a sudden, you're doing festivals and you're doing um, things and, and you turn up and there's um, so much alcohol. And uh, it used to be in my writer that I'd have a bottle of Jägermeister next to, next to the decks and I would, and, and uh, I would make, I was my, my theory behind it was that I would start the show sober. And that was the parameter I put around it. And then I'd just drink because you want to be the center of the party. You want to be the fulcrum. When you're DJing, you want all the energy to go through you and you want to elevate everyone else's DJ, yeah. every, every, everyone else's energy. And yeah. um, a shortcut to that is to, is to get drunk. Yeah. Um, and it's also incredibly fun. And it is. It's a great way to get a rise out of a crowd. If you if you scull a beer on stage in in, in our society, everyone's like woohoo, yeah. and it's you know pour beer on your head, and it's all it's all great. But and that, and all that stuff is great. I was on a, a podcast in Australia in 2015 with a guy called Osher Ginsberg, who is one of our uh, one of our personalities back home. And I said to him that I have a great relationship with alcohol, and he's a sober guy. And he was like, "Well, I'll see you in a couple of years." And of course, he was right. <laughs> Yeah. Because I think everybody, it's more extreme in, in my industry, but I think everybody at some point who who recreationally drinks to excess, at yeah. some point you're going to reckon with it. Yeah. And the key is to know when that moment is and recognise it. And I, I went to AA in like 2018. I went to AA for a little bit. So I wrestled with it for a few years before I reached the point where I am now where I don't drink at all. And yeah. you go to you go to AA and you hear stories of of epic rock bottoms. You, yeah. And it's a it's that scene is is great and it was very very helpful to me. But there's a, a kind of a weird voyeurism about how 
awful your story can be. People kind of compete to have the most the most messed up story. That, that's you know it's a very cynical view of it. Um, but and and that that can feel that can feel you're like well that's not me so I don't have a problem. I'm, yeah. I'm not losing my whole life. I have never cheated on my wife. That kind of thing. So it's not it's not then therefore booze maybe isn't a problem. But alcohol problems can be less extreme and still be damaging to your mental health for sure For sure. Um, so yeah i've been sober for a couple of years now i i like um it took me a long time I, I would go go sober for a couple of months and then get back on it once i did 100 days and get back on it and um but this time around i've just reached i'm just in a feeling really good about it and honestly the main thing is just non-alcoholic beer I yeah. find it really, really good on stage. I drink non-alcoholic beer mm-hmm. at home. And I just, and I also just take my non-alcoholic drinks really seriously. I drink a lot of kombucha okay. and tea okay. and all these things. And <laughs> and I, I really, I always try to find like what like the best kombucha is or the best okay. tea or the best non-alcoholic beer. And I really enjoy that. And, um, and I, yeah, I just find my life is better yeah. in so many ways, particularly with my mental health. Yeah. And I and I think that I think that everybody should just give it a go. There's, what's the harm in taking a month off booze? What's the harm in taking a hundred days off booze? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think that's how lots of people are coming to it at the moment with all these sort of challenges around dry January and those types of things. But one of the things I just wanted to pick up on was, you know, you were telling the story that I need alcohol for the energy and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And actually, I've just watched you and it was amazing and incredible, the energy that you maintained throughout that set, you know, sober. So, yeah, thank you for kind of sharing a little bit about that. And, yeah, you know, I think so many people are sober curious and it's useful just to hear models of that where people are talking about having done it and it impacts mental health so so well i do find and i'm intrigued by this kind of stuff and i do find that with all addictions you know there are and obviously i'm not a professional like you but it seems to me that there are trigger points for for these things like when i smoked i would like love going out for a cigarette break or i'd have a cup of coffee and want a cigarette and stuff like that and with alcohol it's very much the same thing and for me it's social gatherings i have uh, i have um yeah, I have I have uh, social anxiety. I don't like being in groups of people. I'm a lot of performers are introverts, extroverts. We can be very extroverted on stage, but then off stage, quite introverted. I find that in a lot of other performers, and it's definitely something that I have. And so, alcohol. Um, whenever I'm in a social situation, I would have a, have a drink, and, and it calms that down, and I'm more able to to drink. And obviously, gigs that on a massive scale, you can you can get drinking near that. So now I've it took a long time, but now I'm aware of that, and it's okay. Like when, when I just, to me, just having something in my hand, having a drink in my hand, having a non-alcoholic beer, it it really calms that that down, and I'm I'm more able to deal with that. So. Yeah. Um, Amazing. Yeah. And so, so many of my clients talk about that, you know, that using alcohol as a way to mediate social relationships or as a way to medicate out of negative emotions, all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, thank you for speaking about that. Um, now, you've mentioned your wife and I know that you have a young family back in Australia. How do you maintain like a work life balance when you're traveling overseas and you've you know made this big success of Hot Dub? Um, well, it's interesting because it, obviously we had two years there where the, where the balance was very much at home. <laughs> so it, it's uh, now it's, it's very, I haven't been on the road for a little while. So, it, but it is, it is hard, but it's not, 
when I'm at home, I'm really at home. Yeah. Um, and and when I'm away, I do my best to keep in touch on FaceTime and things like that. And it's just our life and it has been our life. My daughter, my eldest daughter was born in 2012 when I started Hot Dog. So, okay. and, um, and uh, in a way, I'm, I'm really, I'm really around a lot more than a lot of people who have normal jobs. I think having a creative job can be really good for parenting, although it can be stressful for your income and stuff like that. But yeah. but not being constrained to to go to work from nine to five doesn't yeah. mean that I you know I pick them up from school every day and I'm there every morning. Um, but yeah, it is it is it's always, it's hard to be away from them and it's hard. It's getting harder all the time. Yeah, and uh, it's just. It's just life, though, and it's, yeah. it's a challenge for sure. Sure, and I'm hearing you say when, when I am home, I'm really present, So, and your job almost facilitates that in a way for you to be there. Yeah, it is. So, like, after these gigs, I'm here for another two weeks overseas, so I'll be away for three and a half weeks all up, and I've been away a lot over the last few months. Okay. Um, but then I'm in Australia until um, for, for quite a while, Um Generally, my schedule is that no. The, the fortunate thing is that I'm not a, a stand-up comedian or, or or those type of touring acts, and that no one wants to see me on a Wednesday. I generally only work on Friday, Saturday nights. Yeah. So um, during the week, I'm around. Sure, sure, okay, right. I'll move on. So I am what I would describe as a holistic practitioner, and I talk with my clients all the time about the benefits of looking at the bigger picture, not just the narrow view of the psychology alone. And one of the things that I'm really aware of in my work is the power of like music and movement and healing past trauma. And I just wondered what your take on that was. Yeah, right. Um, in terms of I, I don't uh, in terms of music as a as a tool yeah, for, just, for yeah, just using music as a tool to you know help you you know heal past trauma, move your body. You know, right. Apologies, very I very much view trauma being held in both body and mind, and I think. Right music sort of activates people and gets people sort of moving and get some of that stuff processing at the same time as you're talking through it. I don't know sort of what you're taking. Yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely um, see that. To me, um, I guess there's, for me, there's two ways to think about that. The way that, that music, I use music all the time. Yeah. Every day. Like there's, it drives my wife somewhat, although she, I think she quite likes it, but it's never, ever quiet. Like I always have to have music on or I have to have it in my headphone or a podcast. I have to be listening to something. Yeah. um, Just because I find it makes my brain um, more able to deal with things. And when I'm on the road and I am feeling depressed or lonely, um, I just have music on and music is my, my accompaniment. And yeah. I know that what it can do to my mood. And yeah. so I use that to kind of soothe myself and things like that. But then there's like the other half of that, which is the ecstatic live experience of going out and being part of a group of people and yeah. being and having your energy elevated and forgetting and being in the moment and absolutely going to a gig is just so, so, um, so important for that. And I do with Hot Dub, I do very, it's like, I just always wanted it to be about joy and about yeah. about fun. Because yeah. so often you go and see a band that you love and it's just not fun enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Or sometimes you go to a, a gig or a party and it's 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 great, but it's more about the band than it's about you. And like I wanted hot dub to just be like a 
a burst of that of of joy and it creates is a feedback loop between me and the crowd of putting energy positive energy out and they send positive energy back and the whole thing and and you and the songs of course are just about joy and and so yeah just creating an ecstatic experience and then you and then you do it does you you feel good it's uh it's good for the soul yeah, I love that. I love that. My friends and I were talking, so we were at the gig the other night and um, sort of two, three days later, we were still talking about being on that hot tub high, right? <laughs> oh, wonderful. That's yeah, so lovely. I love that. Now, um, moving that on just slightly, one of the things that I sometimes do with my clients is use like music as a tool and I get them to think about like what would be your kind of signature track to kind of shift that mindset and move that negative energy and that negative thinking style. Like, can you, like maybe you can't like pick one, like song or tune but is there anything that springs to mind that sort of allows you to activate that joy and that feeling yeah well there there are a couple of things sometimes I like I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to activate your joy and things sometimes I want to wallow a bit yeah sometimes I find that really helpful I have a playlist on my phone of just songs about home and about that almost you know when I'm feeling a bit sad or homesick sometimes I I, just, I, I don't know what they do to me. It definitely doesn't make me sadder, but sometimes it makes me emotional. Sometimes I'll get a bit teary and things like that. But then I kind of feel like I can move on afterwards. Yeah. So, so it's the, the 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 best song for that is for me is a song called uh, "Mirrorball" by Elbow. Okay. Um, Elbow are a uh, a band from Manchester. They the most famous for their song "A Day Like This." That is, um, but there's a song of theirs called "Mirrorball," and it just it means so. I'm getting emotional just talking about it. It means so much to me. It, it, it's um. You can you can listen to it, and it can be about your child. It can be about your wife, yeah. And it's just an absolutely stunning bit of music. So yeah. I, I listen to that, and it helps me kind of process that emotion of longing for home. And then I'm ready to, and then I feel like I'm ready to move on, and it's okay. And then the other, in terms of like actually making myself like energetic and get out, I listen to Tool, which is like a '90s heavy metal band that I was very into in the '90s, and I'm still into. Yeah. So, like, if I'm at a gig and I need to, before a gig, I need to sh- upshift myself and get into that frame of mind or I'm around the house and I'm just, like, I'm not, I, and I need to activate myself, then I put on the tool and uh, I, rock, I rock the fuck out and I um, and uh, that, that, that generally gets me into it. I love that. I love that. And and also the bit about the melancholy tracks, like using, you know, tracks that help you process the negative emotions as well and not just sort of avoid it. Like, I love that. Um, yeah. If you have a little baby, if you have like a, if you have young children and you have that, that, that feeling and you're, and you're away from them, put on your ball by elbow and just see what it does to you. Amazing. I love that. I'll be, I'll be doing that after this. Um, okay. Now I love to ask my guests about their mental wellbeing and you've been really open already. Um, what is your experience of when your mental health hasn't been as you might have liked it? And can you tell us how you've coped with that? Like other things that help you cope? Yes. I, I had a full uh, mental breakdown in my early twenties, oh. um, mainly, uh, in retrospect, a lot to do with the amount of drugs I was doing. Um, being, I was, I was doing a lot of awful marijuana, a lot of bongs, and and I was also obviously very into ecstasy and all that kind of world. But also, I had underlying um, issues as a very anxious kid and and very moody. Um, and so, yes, I, I went off the rails in 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 my twenties with a lot of stuff. And from that point on, I started taking. I saw a great psychiatrist, and um, and we started taking medication. And yeah. I've been on it ever since. I was on SSRTs, 
Yeah. Um, I guess that, is that the correct? I can't remember the the, uh, the things. And then I will kind of go off them and end up. We kind of any basically. I, I I was having bad, really bad panic attacks, and they yeah. would be debilitating. Um, and so I'd take medication, and the medication was great. Um, and from that point on, my life really, really did turn around. So I'm, I'm a big advocate for, for medication, basically. As a, yeah. and and so I've changed the one I'm on at the moment is called Valdoxin, and I'm I absolutely adore it. It's been a little while now since I changed over it. So it's because my understanding of it is that it it it's um it adjusts your serotonin levels by yeah. by by um, using the sleep glands. So as someone who finds it incredibly hard to sleep, it's a and I, and who a hundred percent cannot take sleeping pills. Like I can't take sleeping pills. I get addicted to them. So yeah. this is like a a um it's an antidepressant that that helps you sleep. And 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 I absolutely re- really do it. And um, alongside that medication, I've I've had counselling forever and um i have a lovely psychologist back home who uh you kind of remind me of a wonderful energy she her name is uh emma webster and uh, and she's been a, a huge help to me over the last five or six years yeah. she's the one who who um she uh i was always very <laughs> it wasn't i didn't i never thought i'd do yoga she yeah. got me doing yoga she got me thinking about about my relationship with alcohol yeah. And um I just find it so valuable just to talk to someone who is just just there entirely for me. Yeah. And uh, and entirely on my side and and to have that relationship now that we've spoken to each other for so long that she's able to go, well this is a this is something you were you were talking with ages a while ago and stuff like that. But now honestly since I've stopped drinking I find that I'm I'm definitely having to I do less and less appointments. I've only spoken to her maybe twice this year, which is amazing. And yeah. and definitely giving up alcohol has has made a huge difference to to my mood. I thought that I'd be able to stop taking anti my pills. Mm-hmm. It was a big experiment I wanted to do to see if I stopped taking alcohol, maybe I could stop being on medication. Yeah. Um, but um, it I kind of it's just sometimes in this job you haven't slept for three days and and it's still just a really extreme. Yeah. terrain you can be stuck in a hotel somewhere and and i just and i just i started having panic attacks again so um i just like it's not a problem for me i take my pills and yeah. um and uh it, it's fine so that i guess that's my mental health yeah yeah, yeah. no i love that and so many people i think are scared of going on the medication because of the side effects and all those kind of things and i, I it's so refreshing to hear you speak about it and say look it's not a problem it works for me and for some people they may be able to come off and for others not so um and yeah I love this normalization of the conversation around mental health as well and being able to talk about I go to see a psychologist it's just part of my routine and I'm, I'm constantly saying that to people we need to stop thinking about it like you know, it should be like go to the hairdresser or, you know, those types of things. Like it's just part of maintaining your mental well-being. So, yeah, that's that's so helpful for you to be open with people. Well, just, yeah, it's just communicating and just getting out of your head. And yeah. It's so hard to get perspective. And the thing a psychologist gives you to me is just that in totally impartial thing. Like it's one thing to talk to your friends who you have a history with or your family. It can be hard to talk to them and stuff. But you can say anything to a psychologist. You can... And it's just to get it, even if it's, it doesn't have to be counselling. Sometimes you just need to say stuff, don't you? You just need to just get it out of your head and and hear what it sounds like when it comes out of your mouth. And then you're like, oh, maybe 
so yeah, I, I, I think everyone can benefit from it. That's for sure. I love that. I love that. You're, you're talking my language. <laughs> okay. So a couple more questions for you. Was there a moment, this is kind of moving into the area of success and you spoke in the beginning about, you know, now you're financially secure and it wasn't like that for a long time. Um, was there a moment when you realized that Hot Dub was going to become something really special and successful? Um, I think from the very first gig I did. Yeah. Um, I saw so in 2011, I was doing other, I had uh, the, the core of what I do is this video technology. I DJ yeah. with videos and that's kind of my secret um, thing. It's yeah. a, something that all DJs who use the, the technology I use, which is pretty much every DJ, they everyone could do it, but no one does because it's too much work. But I, I found a, a thing doing that. And I had this show called Tom's Video Dance-A-Rama that was wow. wildly unsuccessful. And it, <laughs> and it didn't, uh, my friends liked it, but it was, it was, not, uh, it, was not it. Yeah. And then um, I got asked to do the Sydney Fringe Festival and um, they um, and they sent the form for me to fill in and I just couldn't write the name down. It was Tom's Video Dancer Armour. It was just, <laughs> I, was, I knew. <laughs> so, and I'd been thinking about, I'd been thinking, a friend of mine had suggested giving it a narrative and, and it had suggested uh, a time-travelling thing and, and me and my wife, we walked around the park on, a, on an afternoon and we just and and we talked it out together and it's always we've been together now for 15 years and we just try to really support each other's i know this is this is an odd i don't know this is a psychologically a uh, a fairly but we try to support each other's mania sometimes like we're both very hot and cold and okay. both of us can have moments where we're really flying with with inspiration or and so yeah so we use the word mania, even though I'm sure that's probably not medically correct. But but just yeah. to go, no, you can do this. You can hunt. You can do that. And um and so she went, yes, of course you can do this. You should do that. And and yeah. so I did. And and we and we made it. And so then I did my my first show at the Fringe Festival. And I well, I had to spend like four months after that just making the thing, which was which was a lot of work. And then from the moment I, I started it, from the moment I played Rock Around the Clock. And the whole, the fact that the room was full was something I'd never had before. There was like 120 yeah. people there and everyone, everybody danced and everybody yeah. responded. And it was just so unlike anything I'd ever done. And I just, to me, I was, just, I, I kind of thought this is it. This is, this is the thing. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And, and also you and your wife and you, I mean, you're terming it as mania, but like, it feels like sort of creative ideas and mm. we all have that sort of when, when we get those entrepreneurial ideas or whatever, we might sort of want to squash those and oh, doubt ourselves and all that kind of stuff. And it sounds like what you're saying is you really just support that sort of um, drive towards, you know, new things. Yeah. Having a supportive partner is just, yeah. it's just, and it seems to me that that's what what love is and that's what like the key to a great relationship is is just that support and that just unquestioning enthusiasm for what your partner does yeah and and sometimes sometimes she's better at it than me um but we do try to just always just yes that's great we kind of i used to do a lot of sound for improvisers like comic improvisers and they have a whole thing there with yes ending where it's just and it's and I, one of my friends there gave a speech once about that, about how it's just such an easier way to live your life when you say yes and to things. Like just re- if you respond with positivity and add to something, then it just almost always is a better thing to do. Like if someone, 
comes at you with an idea and goes, oh, I, I kind of want to, like one of your friends goes, I want to open a hamburger joint and, and call it Zebra Town or whatever and things like that. And in your mind, you're like, just go, no, that's awesome. Right? Like, totally. You can 100% do that. You know, here's some more ideas about that or whatever. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's um. And actually, sometimes, yeah, sorry. yeah, no, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Tom. Yeah, like, I mean, what you're speaking about that yes and, like, these are sort of psychological techniques we would use in terms of sort of thought, you know, so rather than no, but we're yes and and, and, you know, just helping people develop greater sort of cognitive flexibility around things and not shutting things down right away. Um, well, it's interesting to see in my kids too, because yeah. I do my, my little nine-year-old now at school, so she's really entering the world of social dynamics and and it's very stressful for her dealing with things with her friends and you kind of see that some that sometimes it's fun for the kids to just say no yeah like she's playing at one of playing it over at a friend's house do you want to play this game and the other kids like no do you want to play this game no and then there's kind of sitting around going no, but it's kind of a power thing to say, no, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? But then you're just like, you're not playing anything. You're not doing anything. Just yeah. say yes to each other. But it's I, like a. Yeah, yeah. I've got a nine-year-old daughter as well. Very similarly, she's going through all of those sort of social things around um, girls growing up together. And I just am sat thinking, how are we here already? How are we having these conversations? But I think you're right. Mm. They're very much sort of testing the boundaries of what, how far they can push things with their friends and what, what friendship means and all those kind of things. Mm. It's hard to it's hard to passively sit by and watch sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so hard because you're trying really not to intervene and allow them to make their mistakes and all of those kind of things and learn but yeah mm. okay a couple more questions for you um before I let you head on off into your day um what does Edinburgh and Scotland mean to you I got this real sense that you're really sort of um grateful to what Edinburgh has provided but yeah I'd love you to just talk to that a little oh, of course like it's um it's a it's a it's a it's a special relationship now. It does, uh, um, and it was before I started Hot Dub too. Sorry, that was be, be quiet for me. Um, the, um, yeah. So I actually came, I started here in 2000. I came over, I was working at a pub in, in London and we decided what to do for New Year's and me and all my Aussie mates came up to Edinburgh because we'd heard about Hogmanay yeah. and we just had the best time. Yeah. And then I've always just thought of this place and then I came over a bunch of years before I even started working at the Fringe. 2008, so I came over with a friend. There's my a bunch of my mates are in a band called the Axis of Awesome that were quite huge here. And I came over and saw them. And then Plim, my wife, was in a show a couple of years. So mm-hmm. really, even though this is my 10th year, it, it might have been like my 13th year here in a row coming over in August. Yeah. Um, and I just bloody love it. And there's just something about Scotland and something about the the loyalty and the um the passion that they can have that yeah. you guys can have in that it's like if so if you just keep coming back and you show the love and appreciation they you just get so rewarded by in return by this loyalty that I do think is unlike anywhere else in the world like I just keep expecting to come back here and, and they'll be like oh no 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 we're you know <laughs> it's moved on. <laughs> But it just doesn't happen. It's just and and so I just want to reward that loyalty, of course, by just trying to do better shows and trying to find out better ways when I perform to show yeah. my appreciation through music, show these little references and little kind of things that that show that I appreciate it. Yeah. So yeah, it means 
this, the, yeah, there's something about it. And there is something about Scotland and Australia. I think that the countries are kind of so psychologically linked yeah. in some way in that we're attached to the English, but we, we uh, aren't. And, uh, so I mean, we still have that flag on our flag. Oh, you guys have. So, but it's, it's a, there's a link there as kind of these uh, sure. these um, rumps of the of the empire. I love that. I love that. Um, okay, now for me, um, the decade that always gets me when I come to Hot Dub is the '90s dance tracks. Is it? Is there something for you? Um, yeah. Well, see, that's that's to me, that's all part of the the journey. That's what makes Hot Dub. So great is the energy rise throughout it. If I'd started in the 90s, and there are times when I do that and where that's appropriate. Yeah. But it's like you want to, there's a real natural progression in the energy where yeah. you start with the old stuff and you move to it. So by the time you get to those 90s dance tracks, yeah. it, um, the everyone is absolutely ready for it. And it's it's all about context. So yeah, so yeah those it's all about putting songs in context but yeah my favorite bits i don't know i had a yeah i had a lot of fun with the 90s stuff on the weekend that was really yeah. i loved, just absolutely loved um that train spotting section was just it was mad wasn't it it was so fun <laughs> it's just, i was really in i hadn't planned that especially which is obviously a lot of the stuff i have to plan to the microsecond when you've got musicians yeah. coming in and out and yeah and special effects like you it's you can't really improvise too much around it but then sometimes when it's just me up there you can muck around a little bit and so I had that I knew I wanted to play bits and pieces and I knew I wanted to play ball and slippy and I knew I had that train spotting thing on my computer and I was just like maybe if I put a loop here and I do that and that stuff is just so satisfying I was just it was a moment where I was just you know, it was just very all the work I'd put in over the years to build yeah. up this audience here, and and to be rewarded by you guys coming back and and loving it, and yeah. the technology, and then and also we'd done that venue in 2017. It wasn't great. There were a number of reasons for that in terms of the the way it was organised and and the business behind it. There was a real push to make make money, and it, it ended up being a a, a very disappointing thing for me and the fans and so this time around I made sure that the team and and everything was absolutely perfect I got very involved in every decision in a way that I wasn't back then and yeah. so even the design of the stage the way the venue was used and all that stuff and so I was standing there and just it just it seemed like everything yeah. everything had come together absolutely. so yes in, in that moment I was I was a happy boy it really does come together. Okay, final question for you, Tom. What do you, back to psychology again, what do you know about your own psychology now that maybe you didn't know when you were younger, in your earlier days? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is the fragility of it. Yeah. I do wonder, and I, I have my, my friend Osha, who is a big mental health advocate back home, mm. he's very, very sure that his mental health issues are caused by his drug use okay. in his early 20s. Yeah. I'm, I feel less sure. I'm less willing to accept that, even mm -hmm. though it's, it's, uh, it seems like it's a fairly accepted fact by a lot of medical people. I feel like I always had mental health things, even when I was a kid. But I do, I wish I'd known I don't think I would have listened anyway, but I, it's just the, how fragile, how fragile my brain is and, and how 
I wish I'd just recognised that my brain wasn't wasn't right and that punching cones and and treating it so with these heavy heavy drugs was going to have ramifications for the rest of my life yeah um but also like I doubt I'd be doing this for a living if I hadn't discovered raving and things like that so yeah yeah I guess that's my answer that's amazing and yeah I mean it's it's a, a deep answer isn't it like it's and it's what comes first, like mental health struggles that people self-medicate and then it, it you know, makes things a bit worse or, and it's, it's always difficult to unpick these things and psychologists are often trying to do that and help people assess their, their past and all those kind of things. I do, th- I do find it, I do think that like, just, I, I just, just to further answer, I think that it's, I find it interesting that just how different everybody's brain is and how, obviously, but how, and how differently you know, I have friends who still smoke weed and it's totally fine. I have friends who still drink and it's totally fine, but it's like recognising that that, that, yeah. that your brain is different and your brain has different needs and that I can't, like I, I, don't, I, I don't really drink coffee anymore because I, except yeah. unless I'm doing a gig because I just know that it, it messes with my brain in a, in a different way and, and I just, a lot of the shit in my 20s would have been a lot easier if I had that knowledge to go, yeah. I don't know. I, I am different. And I, I, I can't just do what all my mates are doing. I need to, to yeah. be a little a little bit more careful with this brain and, yeah. and I'll be a bit better. Yeah, and a bit gentle with ourselves. Amazing. Tom, thank you so much for being here today. It's just been an absolute pleasure. And I really... I so appreciate when people take the time from their busy schedules. I kind of put it out there and just kind of thought, oh, I'll never get back to me. And so I really do appreciate that you did. Thank you um, for your Yeah, time. no worries. I felt, I felt like it'd be a good conversation and it was. So thank you very much. Loved it. Thank you so much. All right, I've got to get a selfie. Oh, excellent. Let's do there it. There we go. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Know Your Own Psychology. If you loved it, please share it on Facebook or Instagram for your friends and family. And if you really want to help me out, drop a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions, you can email me hello at drlaurawilliams.com. And if you would like to know your own psychology better, influence all the areas of your life and achieve more meaning, freedom and purpose, come and join my growing community over on Facebook. Search Know Your Own Psychology and make a request.